turn your Bible this morning to John chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's going to be on page 886. 886. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. As we have been preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, we have been looking at what the gospel writers have said about the coming or the arrival of Jesus. Whenever we meet someone new in life, we may ask questions to get to know them or to better understand them. Questions like, what's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? In a sense, the gospel writers are asking or answering these kinds of questions as they tell us about Jesus. In Matthew's gospel that we looked at two weeks ago, Matthew was writing to Jews and he emphasized that Jesus is the fulfillment of the long-awaited promise of a king, that he would be the rightful king to sit on David's throne. In the Gospel of Mark, which was directed to non-Jews, Jesus is presented as the Son of God, the suffering servant who came to save, who came to seek and to save the lost. Today we move to the Gospel of John. Rather than dealing with the details of Jesus' birth, John emphasized the meaning of Jesus' birth. He began his gospel with what's called a prologue, and that's the first several verses, first section of verses. We will only look at the first five or so today, specifically anyways. And in this prologue, we find that he tells us, uh, or he gives to, to Jesus a title. He tells us about where Jesus came from, and also something about what Jesus did and does. John's audience is both Jew and Gentile. His gospel is actually to the world. It's to, to all people as he unveils Jesus as the eternal God who has become man. Now, there are some who may be glad at this time of year to celebrate uh, baby Jesus in a manger. That's sweet, right? And we, we can kind of get behind a birth story. That, that feels warm. That feels, feels, feels comforting. That, that, that usually isn't the holdup when we talk about Jesus. But those same people may also only see Jesus as a baby in a manger and deny or dismiss his deity. John leaves no room for that in his gospel as he highlights a foundational doctrine in the Bible that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Or we could say truly God and truly man. Let's look at the prologue beginning in verses 1 and 2 as we learn something about the word. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I'm just going to take this piece by piece this morning. In the beginning was the Word. 
Now, verse 1 here reminds us of, a, of another book that begins in a very similar fashion. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just last week, we looked at Mark chapter 1, and it talks about, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. John does not start the gospel here, as we note, with a birth story, nor did Mark. But rather, here, John steps back even further. Further than the birth of Jesus, he steps back to the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The beginning of what? The beginning of time? In the beginning, the word was. Or the word has already been. Before the world was, before the world began, the word was. John chapter 17 verse 5 says, before the world existed, Jesus was there. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus was there. The word then, what John is communicating to us, the word is eternal. In the beginning was the word. When the beginning started, when the beginning of time, Jesus was already there. The word was already there. Now, before we go, we may wonder who or what is the word? The word here is a title. It's a Greek word. It's a title, logos, and it means message or speaking. This was not an unknown or unused word or title at the time of John's writing. But, but the question for us is to whom is John applying this title? Now, it may seem abundantly obvious since we're in church here today and it's Christmas time of who the word is referring to. But John doesn't actually make that distinction in verses 1 and 2. We just keep seeing him say the word, the word, the word. So who is the word? We come down to verse 14, and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then look at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the word, the word that became flesh is, in fact, Jesus Christ. In two other places, John, in two of his other writings, John makes this same connection or uses the same language. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, in verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Same word. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is a title. This is a title that John used to speak of Jesus. So Christmas is, in fact, the advent of the Word. The advent, the coming of, the arrival of Logos. But why the Word? Why, why, that, why that Word? That, that seems like an odd, an odd term. Well, the word is, according to one theologian, the personal expression of the thoughts of God to man. The personal expression of the thoughts of God to man. So when John says, the word was, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was, what? The personal expression of the thoughts of God to man. You look down to verse 18 of the same chapter, John writes, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, 
who is at the, the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made known the God who no one has seen. Another writer says, the Son is the spoken word, the living expression of all that God has ever sought to communicate about himself. Jesus Christ is the logos of God. He is the word of God. He is the living word of God. As words are to you and me, Jesus is to the Father. The expression of the thoughts of God to us. In the beginning was the word, and, he goes on to say, the word was with God. Now, if you're listening or looking at your Bible, in these first two verses, you see a repeated word. Four times the word was is used. And it is in, I'm told, the perfect, imperfect tense. I'm not a big grammar person, but this matters. It's in the imperfect tense, which indicates continual existence in past time. So when it says that the word was with God, the word was, the word was with God, and the word was God, it's talking about a continual existence, that the word has always been, which means that the word has no origin. Neither the word nor God have an origin. There's no beginning to God. There's no beginning to the word. They are eternal. They have always been. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, Whose coming forth is of old, from ancient days, speaking about the coming of Jesus. In the ancient days there is referring to eternity past. Isaiah, from of old, and the ancient of days. All that is referring to the ancient past. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, one of the titles that the prophet gives to the coming Jesus is everlasting father. Everlasting. The word is eternal. John was expressing the eternality of Jesus in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was in company with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. This speaks to the, the intimate or the interpersonal relationship between God and Jesus. They were distinct, but they were united. The word, Jesus, is eternal. He is pre-existence. He has always existed. And he always has been. Jesus even identifies this himself. In John chapter 8, he says these words to the dismay of the religious leaders. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he used a term that is referring to God himself. We know that because of Exodus chapter 3. That's the name that God says to Moses, of who Moses should tell Pharaoh that he is. Who is this God? I am. Jesus here using the same phrase, I am. Equality with God. He too is eternal. And so the word has always been, and therefore, what we can know is that Jesus did not come into existence at Christmas. Jesus is eternal. Rather, at Christmas, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as one paraphrase says, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus did. He's always existed, but he came here. And he came here 
in the form of a man. He became flesh. That's what incarnation, to incarnate, means to come in flesh or become flesh. He was made flesh. And he dwelt among us or he tabernacled with us. Philippians chapter 2 Paul writes this, though he, this is talking about Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This all indicates to us that Jesus has always been and at Christmas, he came where he, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word incarnated at Christmas. We just sang one of the hymns that we just sang. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The word has always been. The word is eternal. But the word was not only with God. What's the next phrase? And the word was God. Another translation says the word was fully God. Now, John is not indicating, as some false teachers would argue, that Jesus is a God, but rather that Jesus is God. That's an important distinction. This is to say that the word was the same in substance and essence as God the Father. John was identifying that Jesus is, has been, God. That Jesus and God are united. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a, a, found, a, fun, a fundamental teaching of the Christian faith, is the unity or the, the triunity of God. The triunity of the Godhead. Sometimes we use the word trinity. That word is not in the Bible. If you do a Google search or of your Bible, if you have an electronic app and you try to type in Trinity, Trinity into your Bible, you're, you're not going to find anything because it's a word that we use to describe something that the Bible teaches. The doctrine states that there is one God in three persons, three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we will not take time to do an extensive defense of the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, but sufficient to say is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, the text says, God says, let us make man in our image. There's a plurality, there's a plurality there that God is talking about the persons of the Godhead in creation. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. There's a unity between God and Jesus. Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira tells us that by lying to God, they actually were lying to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Here we see that Jesus, who is eternal, is also God. He is deity. John also unveils the role of the word in creation. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And look down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Not only is the word eternal, but the word is the creator. There was a survey done 
uh, last year, in 2022, or released in 2022, and the respondents were asked several questions, but one of the questions that they were asked to agree or disagree with is this. And you can just think of the question, answer yourself. I won't ask for a raise of hands this morning. Here's the, here's the statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. The survey, you can look at lots of different data on who is answering this. All people, people who are evangelical, people who are different, different um, uh, persuasions within evangelical, uh, whatever. I, I looked at the evangelicals. Right? Uh, we would be lumped into the evangelical uh, grouping. And so, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Agree or disagree? Those who were considered evangelical, 22% disagreed and 73% agreed. Now, maybe they didn't understand the question. Maybe they were confused. I've been confused. I took a quiz the other day. I totally missed a, a, a question. I read it completely wrong and I got it wrong. So we can be somewhat gracious here and, and assume that some of them may have misunderstood the question. 73% probably, not all of them misunderstood the question, at least not entirely. The answer to the question is no. Jesus is not the first and greatest being created by God. False. Disagree. 100% disagree. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. He is uncreated. Jesus is not created. Jesus was not created at Christmas. Jesus became man at Christmas. He did not come into existence at Christmas. Jesus was not made, rather he is the maker. John Piper writes, Christ was not made, that is what it means to be God, to not be made. The only one who could say they're not made is God. And Jesus is God. The word is the creator, not the created. One commentator notes here that there are two heresies related to creation that verse 3 answers. And the first of the heresies, they say, are, is that matter is eternal. Matter is eternal. No, matter is not eternal. Look at verse 3 again. All things were made through him. All things. All matter has an origin. It has a beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything, God created it. And this creation is a completed act. All things were made, were made. It's done. The creating act of God has been accomplished. Hebrews chapter one, verse two says, but in these, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That God created the world through Jesus. Matter is not eternal. It has an origin. The second heresy is that angels had a part in creation. No, look at the rest of verse three. And without him was not anything made that was made. Angels are created Angels are created beings. They are not creators. 
They are their own being, by the way, too. You do not become an angel. Side note here. When you die, you do not become an angel. You are a human. You are a human. You will still be a human. You're a being that God created, but you're not an angel. You're not going to be an angel. So boys telling your girlfriend you're an angel, stop it. She's not an angel. You don't want her to be an angel. You want her to be a woman. All right. Yes. Angels are created beings and therefore are not creators. Turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 983. 983. The apostle Paul is writing here, and the heading of this section in my Bible says the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He's telling us something about Jesus here. And this is what he says, starting in verse 15. He, again, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. As he is the word, the expression of God's thought, now here Paul's saying he's the image of the invisible God. Same concept, or similar concept. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now some people get themselves worked up with firstborn. Now is God, is God, is Jesus, has Jesus always been? Or is he, is he born? Is he the firstborn? The firstborn here is not talking about any sense of, um, of birth in the sense of coming from God. It's talking about rights and privileges given to Jesus. He is the firstborn of all creation. He has the rights and the privileges that God has given to him. For by him, this is what we want to get to, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's a glorious passage of scripture that tells to us something about Jesus. Jesus is, who is the creator. One of the implications to the creation story is to communicate that the one who creates is king. Imagine being the reader of Genesis, of the creation narrative. What kind of person could speak and something happen? In that context, it would have been a king. Only a king could say this and that happened. So what is the text telling us? It's telling us that God is king. Jesus is king in a far, far greater way than any mere human king. Jesus is the creator king who spoke. When Genesis says, Genesis 1 says, and God said, John 1 the word is the expression of God's thoughts? Would it not be true to say that Jesus is speaking at creation? The word spoke, creation came into being. The creator king spoke creation into existence out of nothing. Now that's a, that's a, uh, that's a truth, right? That's a true thing. But what's the implication to you and me? You look around the world and you might conclude the world looks out of control. Or we might say, the world seems out of my control. Or my world is out of control. Or so it feels. And yet Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 17 again. 
And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things, all of creation holds together. And if he holds all creation together, if he holds the universe, Hebrews chapter one, verse three, tells us he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If he holds all of creation, he holds all of the universe together, then he holds you together too. He's gonna hold your life together too. Christian, he hasn't left you. He has not forsaken you. The one who spoke creation into being holds it all together. He didn't leave it. There's some who think that, that, that God started creation and let it go. No, no, no. He's holding it together. He takes his hand off it and we spin out of control. God is holding, Jesus is holding the world together. And he holds you together too. Everything that was created was done so by the creator, by Jesus. The word was not only the creator God, but next we see that he came to give life. Look at verse four. In him, that's in the word, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. How the themes of light and life run throughout John's gospel and his first epistle, 1 John. The word life is used some 40 times in the book of John. The word, who is the creator of life, is also the source of life. In him was life, verse 4 says. Go a few chapters later in the book of John, and you hear Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him was life. The emphasis of John's use of life here is on eternal life. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says to Martha, remember this story about Martha and Mary and their, their brother Lazarus who has died? He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He wasn't talking about physical life. He couldn't have been. Eternal life. Or John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says of his book, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, there's a reason why we say to people who are searching out wondering who this Jesus is, to read John's gospel. Because the purpose of John's gospel is that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing, they may have life in his name. The life of Jesus, we keep reading in verse four, was the light of men. The, light, the life of Jesus was the light of men, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The life of Jesus was the light of men. Jesus calls himself the light of the world in chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that's been promised since the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them, on them has light shone. Or Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise on you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Who is this light that's shining? Who is this great light that Isaiah talks about? But Jesus, the light of men. The life of Jesus was the light of men. Look at verse 6. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he became a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Jesus is the light of the world. The world who is who is. The, the, the one who is light has come. The word who has, has come is the light. He is the light, but, but not all would receive him. Look at verse 9. And the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He is in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The light has come. The light has dawned. And the response is to see the light, to receive and to believe. But not everyone does that, John tells us. There, there's a, a, a phrase we hear sometimes that we're all the, the children of God. You may hear some, some that's sometimes said. We're all the children of God. Well, if by children of God you mean that we're all created by God, then, then maybe. But we're not all the children of God as what Jesus refers to here in John chapter 1. According to the scriptures, we are not all the children of God. And this distinction is not to be harsh. It's not to, to be mean. It's not to say there's some club and you can't be part of it. That's not the point. It's to be clear. It's to be accurate. It's to offer truth and real hope. Listen, those who have been born of God, John says, those who have received and believed Jesus have the right to become the children of God. You can't just run around and say you're the child of God. No. You're only a child of God if you're born of God. And how are you born of God? By receiving him. By believing in his name. That's exactly what verse 12 says. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christmas is a beautiful time of year. We have messages of hope and joy and peace and love. We all want to kind of you know, group up and big group hug and everyone, everyone's on the same team. We all feel good about everything. But only those who are God's children can actually know what hope we're talking about. Can actually have joy that goes beyond circumstance. That has a peace that passes all understanding. And that knows love that's unconditional. Only the child of God can know that. And so the question is, are you a child of God this morning? Do you know that hope and peace and joy and love? And if you're not, 
And if you don't know, then the answer, the invitation is to receive Jesus. To receive the light that has shown, the light that has come, the promised light, the one who came to show us, show us our sin and show himself to be our savior has come. The answer has come. The rescuer has come. Some of us wait our whole life for, for an answer to a prayer, for, for relief from a problem. Your greatest problem, the answer has already come. He's already here. The Savior has come. What is your response but to believe on him? Believe on him as God's son who came to seek and to save the lost. John announced the advent of the word. The incarnation of God. God become man. And this is no optional story. This is no optional truth. This is not a truth that we can take it or leave it. This is not agree to disagree on God becoming man. No, this is a deal breaker. This is a non-negotiable teaching of the Bible. That God himself came to earth as a man for you and for me. But what would it mean if God was not to have come, become a man? If Jesus was not fully God and fully man? Well, if Jesus was not man, then he could not die for man. If Jesus was only man, his death would not have satisfied God's righteous standard. If Jesus was not man, he could not identify with us. And if Jesus was only man, he would not be able to meet our deepest needs. If Jesus was not man, then he could not take on the sins, our sins, and stand in our place, taking our punishment that we deserved on the cross. And if Jesus is only man, then he is finite. He's no different than you and me. He has no power. He has no authority. In his death, he could not rise again, victorious over sin. But Jesus is truly God, and he is truly man, so he did come. He did come for you. He did satisfy the righteous requirements of God by dying your death in order that you could be saved from your sins. Glory be to Christ that he has come. The word, God himself became man to rescue men dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus came from heaven. He came to earth for you. The question is, will you come to him in repentance and faith? If you've never done that, this morning we invite you to do just that. The word who was with God is to us Emmanuel, God with us. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. The word has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has come. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That in your great love, you sent your only begotten son to take upon himself the form of a man living and dying 
in order that he might satisfy your wrath against sin, against our sin. What a sacrifice. What love. And it's in response to that, it's in response to your love for us that we are then moved to love you in return, to repent of our sins, to place our faith in you, Father, we recognize you as the giver of all things, of hope, of peace, of love, and of joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.